Welcome to Serially Hooked House of the Dragon. We're your hookers, Chris and Rashad. And today, what are children but a weakness, a folly, a futility? Find us wherever you get your podcasts and at seriallyhooked.com where you can find all our latest info. Some programming notes. This week we're doing it a little bit differently. There won't be a new D&D episode on Wednesday. Instead, we get to end the longest Star Wars break yet and talk about the first three episodes of Andor. And that one is being published on Wednesday. And on Saturday, we'll release another episode discussing the next episode of that show. And of course, we'll be doing weekly reviews of House of the Dragon as as every episode comes out. So be sure to stay tuned. I literally had to bite my tongue not to interrupt. And I still interrupted. (laughs) And you still interrupted. That's fine. And with that, do keep trying. Sooner or later, you'll get one that looks like you. So, oh my God, I love those quotes, both of them. Um, <laughs> but also, I I will commend myself waiting a whole minute to interrupt. But I'm so excited to talk about Andor and everything that's coming. So, yes, yeah, ah, <laughs> <laughs> same. Uh, and yeah, but I'm also very excited to talk about this episode because holy hell, that what an episode that was! That was Ooh. so good. Oh my God! All right, so we have a ten year time jump here. Yes, and we have a recasting. Um, it's essentially like a new show all over again. So what did you mm-hmm. think about Olivia Cook, Emma Darcy as um, Alicent and Rhaenyra respectively? And I guess the time jump in general. I think Rhaenyra, it's interesting how at least Rhaenyra looks. There are some visual similarities, I think, like in the, in the facial structures, uh, which I thought was interesting. I like both actresses. I think I like... Alicent a little bit more now but maybe that is just because you know the new role she has uh which is very different from her more innocent self 10 years ago and I think they did a really good job casting that well I mean now that we've actually gone through the time jump I can talk about the casting a little bit because Mm -hmm. it was Olivia Cook and Emma Darcy that were cast first and the children Mm -hmm. uh Oh my god, Millie Alcock and I can't remember young Allison's name right now, which is uh, a shame, but which is on brand. <laughs> yeah. Which they were uh cast second. Based on like 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 likeness and other potential things. But I think it's a, an incredible casting for the two of them. I find myself actually on the opposite end of you. <laughs> In the way that I, oh, I I really like Emma Darcy here, and Olivia Cook is a great performance for sure. Yes, she yes. she's a great actor. It's not a question there. It's just the the, and we'll get into that a little bit. But the Allison character really gets under my skin in this episode. Yeah, I mean, I intentionally. I really do. I really don't like her. It's just you know, I think the the performance of that is great. Oh, we'll we'll get we'll get to that. Oh, I know. <laughs> uh, but we have a whole lot of new characters or oh new uh, a lot of new children all of a sudden. I'm so sorry, Chris. <sighs> I know. They have included know. the children. They have come, they have arrived. But I didn't think it was bad. I don't know. I, but I'm I'm not as uh, averse to children as you are. What are your thoughts on the children? We have just um, for the record, we have um Jaserius and Lucerius um and I guess Joffrey Rainier as kids, and we have Aegon, Aemond, and Helena, who are uh, oh my god, Allison's kids. Yeah, I, I love I love that they called him Joffrey, because a just for character reasons, what you know, Lena's choice there, but also because of the thing you said last time about is is every Joffrey in the show just an idiot? <laughs> um, I mean, that's really bad forebear, like foretelling. Then, yeah, exactly, but. I don't know. I think I just couldn't help but think of the old Maester at the at the watch. You know? Maester Aemond? Maester Aemond, yeah. And and I mean we we see we see Aegon and Aemond here. I think in terms just in terms of casting and everything, that's like pretty nice. You um, know it's not the same Aemond, right? Uh, yeah, I know, but it, okay. it was just it, it was just interesting to see like 
just because of the because of the you know because of the names <laughs> i know yeah. that it's like 200 years apart so that doesn't work but yeah i mean maester Eamon is really old but <laughs> exactly <laughs> not that old <laughs> um but yeah i don't know i think i think sympathies were very clear early on where aegon is just an asshole <laughs> and they but they do a really good job at portraying that and like you immediately get, get a liking for Amond because he gets bullied yeah Amond is like one you want to just be like it's gonna be okay the layman yeah. don't worry and Aegon is just like he gives me game of thrones viserys vibes where he's like a spoiled little brat and yes just like whatever the fuck goes and he's beating on jaceris like he's a freaking like monster god uh, yeah, he I also just... blame he also blames the two uh, uh, like Rhaenyra's children when they talk when Alison confronts him about the pig. Oh yeah, and... which is a comp- I mean, like we don't know it's a lie, but it sounds. I'm pretty sure that's a freaking. I lie. mean, he's the oldest one. I'm sure it's his idea. It was his idea. Yeah, yeah, fucking douchebag. Yeah, seriously, I just like. <laughs> Just like standing on the on the thing, looking down, masturbating. That was a power move, but also pretty damn. That was so disgusting. <laughs> so a point that I have or a question that I have is how do you feel about what we missed in this 10-year time jump? I think it's great that they don't they don't talk about it too much. You can just see things on screen about the relationships that have changed but they don't talk about oh in the last 10 years all of these things happened they are just they're doing i think a great job not telling us there are a few things and i think that is fine but i think they're they're doing yeah they're they're doing such a good job of you know not doing you know as you know the last 10 years we did this this and this and all of this happened um yeah i think it's handled with a great craft it's always been the show's strength to talk about or to just throw you into the world and not really talk about stuff and just be like, expect the audience to understand what's going on from the start. And I think that they really are able to do that here. But one thing that I really do miss, I especially in light of some of the events from this episode and spoiler alert, um, the deaths of Lena and Harwin Strong and Lionel Strong, it is oh my God. like, I wish we had more time with these characters. And at this point, like it really made me think the Laris killing his brother and father is such a, such a big deal. And it, it could be such a huge twist, but imagine if it's the end of two seasons where you really can, you've had time with Harwin and Laris and, and Lionel, and you're able to really get into them or you understand Lena more and you have, uh, like a history with the, her and Damon and and her kind of bond with Vagar, which is incredible. The fact that she's riding Vagar, mm. and it's just they really they did their best, I guess, within their constraints. But I do really think that if this sh- point was at the either the end of the first season, the middle of the second season, something like a little bit longer, where we're able to understand these characters a little bit more, and we have more of a shock factor of these deaths. Like, there's no shortage of death in any Game of Thrones adjacent storyline, but I really found myself thinking, I wish we had more here. Not in terms of what they're really the show's focused on, because the show is really focused on the split between Rhaenyra and Allison, and you can kind of see the first five episodes climaxes with the Allison and Rhaenyra being super cold to each other. Were more on the Allison side. I don't think Rhaenyra knew at that point that Allison was like onto her shit but we can tell that okay that's kind of like the point of the first five episodes and then we get into this and we've kind of accelerated 10 years into their hatred of each other and we see how cold it still is or if not colder so it's just like a there within that i think it's okay and i think it's fine i think within the ancillary characters which i think we would have i would have loved to see more of before we dispose of them like they're nothing yeah, I think it would have been much more effective for sure. Well, um, it gets to the larger point about why I think there is a um, a lack of scope in this in or the my problem with the scope of this show because 
this show is really, really narrow. And if you start killing off the people that are on the margins of this show, it becomes even more narrow. So I really wonder where they're going and how are they going to rebuild this back up and zoom out again without uh, making it feel hollow. I don't think they have to do that because in the, this episode was the first time where I thought, oh, wow, there are like quite a few characters now and they just killed three of them. So I think now we're back to a smaller circle. But yeah, it was, it was just because we had talked about it in the previous episodes about how it's really on a small scale. But but this episode was the first time where I was just like, oh, may, this is we're just jumping back and forth. So many characters um, and some characters don't even show up until the 50 minute mark. And so I don't know. I think they did a good job there in terms of, you know, managing <laughs> managing all of the characters um yeah well there's no doubt I, they did a good job i think that where they actually struggled or for me at least is i like the scope i want them to keep that wide scope and my fear yeah. is that they keep killing off all the characters and not replacing them anymore maybe they will but i doubt i think we're kind of like reaching the limit in terms of how much they'll expand it but yeah i, I just I, it makes me worried for where we're we gonna go with when other people start dying as well yeah, I mean, there's plenty of space for new characters and I'm sure we will get to see some new ones. I was just thinking, is there going to be another time jump? I would like <laughs> I would like there to be no time, time jump for the next few episodes. I would like to stay in this period for at least two episodes. Um, hopefully even longer. Maybe this is just the timeline that we are in now, but I'm, I don't know. I'm not sure. Um, now I'm I'm kind of getting to have almost like a hundred years of solitude vibe kind of vibes with all of the time jumps and like the different generations. Yeah, it makes you wonder what's going to happen because I mean the show is about House of the Dragon, so we don't really know yeah. how far it's going to go into the future. Well, yeah, <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know if you want yeah. to know if there's going to be a time jump or not, but I don't think there is no. coming up soon. I don't know. Okay, good. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it was it was such a good point as well, just something that I had to rem remind myself because in that scene with the four boys at the dragon pit, I was kind of... At first, I thought, oh, this is Aegon and Aemond, the Aegon and the Aemond that we know from Game of Thrones, and I was kind of disappointed because now we know how it ends. I mean, you know how it ends because you've read the damn book, but... I haven't. So I thought, oh, okay, I guess I know now. But I don't know because it's not the same people as, you know, as we talked about earlier. And that makes me makes me very happy because I just don't know what's going to happen. And yeah. Also, it's... the only Aegon we know in Game of Thrones is Jon Snow. What was Daenerys' father's name? Ares. Ares the oh. second. Was it? Okay. Yeah, the Mad King I thought Ares. It was Aegon. No, his okay. uh, actually da Daenerys's half brother, her her first half brother was named Aegon, but that's he hmm. was killed in the Robert's Rebellion. There you go. Okay. So we don't have many Aegons in that time frame, but okay. Then I just kind of yeah confused that, but yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah. I hope we just get to stay in this timeline for for a bit because damn i mean there are so many things that we talked about last time where like with cole with viserys what's what's gonna happen and we just i think again they handled it so well with cole is now obviously confidant of of uh of alicent in that great scene when they go together and uh uh you know Alison is bitching about Rhaenyra and, and then calls, like, calls her a spoiled cunt. <laughs> so, oh, sorry, I overstepped. This is not becoming of me. I thought that that was kind of funny. I fucking hate Kristen Cole so much now. It's just the anger from me is just livid. How the hell is he allowed to stay around? I just don't understand that. I think that's something we needed to see because it's yeah. that dumb, dumbfounds me how he's still able to be on the King's Guard and around after punching. Lenore in the face and bashing Joffrey's head into oblivion. I mean, probably some like royal pardon, whatever. Alicent kind of exerted her influence, I'm sure. But it's something that we need to see because yeah. it's something that is a big question. 
Yeah, that's true. Also, he's a fucking asshole, so I would like um I'd be fine with him just getting murdered. Yeah. Yeah, it's true, but I think he won't be because he's a good like a in that way, like a an effective character, you know. You see where he's coming from that doesn't excuse his behavior, but still you can can kind of see it and now he's just did a 180. Yeah, well, I think that's the cool thing about Kristen Cole as a character is that when he first came, oh, we thought, oh, the dashing knight or the honorable whatever whatever but then you can see how that is manipulated by an internal insanity and like fuse that really just comes out in bursts of anger and Mm -hmm. hatred and the way that he's able to hold on to grudges for so long it's absolutely incredible like this is 10 years later and he's still like he has palpable hatred for Rhaenyra and it's it's really yeah it's it's there's something wrong with him in the head um, in a negative way. And it's, yeah, it, it's really disappointing. And uh, not disappointing. It's a really effective character change and kind of fake out by the show creators to be, to present him as something as amazing. And then just reveal layer after layer of how we, or how he is um, rotten on the inside. Yeah. He's a shit onion, basically. Damn uh, straight. You know. Poor onions. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, yeah, but I. There was one scene. Uh, it's not going to be one of my scenes, but I just wanted to talk about. There was one scene where I, I love what they did, and then I was immediately disappointed at the very end, where at the like in the very beginning after the. Um, you know, after after the birth, and, you know, the the baby is brought to Alicent and Viserys, and then, uh. Rhaenyra and Lena leave and you just see in in the background you see the blood on the floor I thought that it was such a good touch until they pointed it until they had Lena look back and like point like you know put such a finger on it and I was like ah if only you hadn't hadn't done that that would have been such a good like nice thing to to you know for only those who really pay attention um sort of thing so i was kind of uh disappointed by that but, well that um, sequence of them just the long walk and talk with the baby yeah. and her kind of bleeding out all over the floor yeah and just spraying her afterbirth as she walks around it's an absolutely incredible sequence not only for like so good. it leads you up to why does allison want her what is going on here and eventually you realize oh it's for the color of the hair but Mm. it's the, the the cruelty you see immediately because like you're immediately put in a position where Rhaenyra is seen as vulnerable and weak and she's being forced by Alicent who is cruel to make her walk all the way across the castle in this way and Lenor is being an unsupportive asshole and just being like y'all right I got, was it good I got a, I got a javelin in the shoulder once yeah oh, <laughs> and Rhaenyra just like good on you man good on you but I think from a narrative perspective from a to- storytelling perspective that was such a clutch move because you immediately see how Al- that Allison has changed quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, you really see so many things. So it's a very effective uh, sequence for sure, because it establishes yeah. all of the characters immediately from the outset of this new ten-year period. Yeah, the, literally the only character who hasn't changed is Viserys. Fucking a Viserys, <laughs> idiot. Honestly, so funny to me. How how is he still king? I don't know. Should we get into the scenes that we want to talk about for today? Yes, absolutely. Okay. What's your first one? So my first one is our introduction. Not our introduction to Aegon, but the convers- like the aforementioned uh, masturbation scene. Not that scene, but like what comes immediately after is when Alicent obviously goes into his chambers, c- catches him, and then really impresses on him, onto him the stakes of what happens if Rhaenyra ascends the throne, what that could mean to him. And you could just hear her, you know, she is basically saying what Otto told her in the last episode. And she has now definitely, uh, you know, agree. She has now taken that position as well. And in a kind of probably also, parental role of caring about their children and 
uh, I thought that that was just a very impressive scene how she she sees that her son kind of is a shit but and doesn't care and she just really drives it home to him that this is important that he needs to as she puts it be a challenge or a challenger uh, to Rhaenyra and her sons and how that doesn't doesn't you know that that is kind of a crucial thing for their future um which you see as a through line how she also ad adopts that um language of decency throughout talking about Rhaenyra and her illegitimate children um but i mean you know supposedly illegitimate but uh yeah that was the first scene because i thought it was it tells you so much about Alicent how she has changed and uh it's it's just a small scene but for some reason it just left kind of a mark because just because the force of her telling her son just basically yelling at him like no get this into your thick skull you idiot this is important so this scene and the scene before it are the ones where i start to realize that i am in i am in the anti alicent camp where i start to hate <laughs> yes. her because she yes. is just like honor and decency must prevail and i'm just like fuck you and fuck that get over it already like you're using yeah. honor and decency as a cover for your own power desires you are basically yeah. becoming auto hightower and you can the, well the effectiveness of the scene is that you're able to see how generational trauma and generational ugh, misgivings i guess go from father to daughter here because the way she's speaking to aegon is exactly what Otto was telling to her and aegon himself was just like a I mean, yeah, he's an asshole, but he's just like he's like a Damon type in the way that he doesn't really care yeah. about shit. He doesn't really like he's not going to fight for the throne. He doesn't he's not a power hungry asshole. He's just an asshole nonetheless. Yeah. And she's the one who's fucking everything up. And she's the one who's just like stoking the fire like her father was even worse than her father in some ways and or actually more effective than her father. But more effectively it's a weird way um but she's just like <laughs> one day you will be king and the way she says it so declaratively is that she's the one who's becoming making this an issue like rainira isn't the type to kill her brother like she would not do that and obviously like mm. allison's not doesn't know that but she i don't know this whole thing is just like it is it's a great turn by a character and you can see how 10 years really changes Alicent and the moment where she walks into the wedding last episode with the green dress is, is signaling that she is grown to a higher level and we can see what that means here. And it's just, I, I'm starting to really like, okay, Alicent, you're, you're, you're graduating to asshole territory in these, uh, in these few scenes. Wow. You're really doing a 180 just like she did. I know. If she changes, she was I like change your too. favorite character, and now she's like, oh, you hate her so much." Um, oh, we'll yeah, get to but, that. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm sure. What's your first scene? Um, I want to talk about the the training sequence in the yard with the four boys and oh, Harwin perfect. and uh, what's his face? Fucking Kristen. God damn. Yeah, that, that's my next scene. So perfect. Oh, great. I can talk about a different scene. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this is just a way for us to talk about like eight scenes or ten scenes yeah. each. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're doing ten scenes? Is this my kind of top four? Are you adapting my top four strategy of just doing five? Nope, we're doing... F I'm doing four, I'm picking four. This is number four for me. Okay, there you go. Yeah, fuck Kristen Cole again, <laughs> as a reminder. <laughs> if, if we weren't sure where I lie on this, uh, Kristen Cole is also an asshole. He's a bitter asshole. And the way that he's stoking the fire with harwin so so there are so many levels to this scene so the first part of the scene you just have them training individually and you can see the development just because aegon is so much older than jace or luke and also aemond but the way that kristen cole is favoring the other two brothers is just so obvious and it's also like harwin is an idiot here in this scene because he's intervening in a place where he really shouldn't and he is just being so obvious that there he has a connection to these boys that they are his potential sons and what's he's leaving himself up to vulnerability and it's reflected in the scene later on where lionel and harwin talk about and rainier is listening where harwin says you have your honor and i have mine so it is a really it's a layered sequence for sure i love how 
um, if this the rivalry between Jace and Aegon, the kind of they're put head to head and they have to fight with one another. And Aegon is just like l- loses his mind and it becomes very, very aggressive. <laughs> and it's a kind of an, uh, not an allegory. I don't want to say that it's representative of like the larger rivalry between Kristen Cole and Harwin. And you can kind of see their two different sides. And obviously Harwin beats the shit out of Kristen Cole. And Kristen Cole's just kind of loving it. And the way he smiles and laughs with blood coming out of his mouth, or doesn't laugh, but he you can see that he's reveling in the anguish that uh, Harwin is, or the, the mistake that Harwin made. Because Kristen Cole's become more of a manipulative political figure working with Alicent over these years. It kind of reminded me of like the Joker in a weird way, where he's reveling mm. in someone else's mistake and it really gave me like evil villain vibes with, by Kristen Cole. So great acting. Uh, <laughs> but it's just Harwin is also just being it's just such an idiot misstep in that way with obviously. And Viserys is just the idiot who doesn't know how to do anything and is just watching everything. And he's like, it's so cute where he just seems so happy. Like, I don't know, an old man who's just like smiling that way. <laughs> it's just really cute just to see them kind of like his optimism is just so misguided when he's just thinking to himself oh oh the boys have trained together will be such great friends and you can obviously that's not not going to be the case because they're aegon beat the shit out of jason this in this scene but yeah, it's a lot here i should stop now <laughs> no I, I mean viserys just romanticizes what he never had you know the all of the fighting uh, that he was talking to lionel strong about i think last episode about he never was someone proven in battle and so he kind of relishes seeing that the next generation is going to hopefully do that and as they're trained but i love this scene so much i think that uh, i mean i mean you you already mentioned it but Kristen cole just super plays it super well yeah he laughs at the end because he knows he, he won on all fronts and you know Howen gets stripped of his position of commander of the city watch, and um, everybody kind of knows. And I love how he how he does it, uh, Cole. That is not not straight going to saying, "Oh yeah, the relationship like uh, with sons," but he goes like a cousin or a brother or a son, and so he builds up the tension. And I think that's just such good writing not to just throw the first thing out there but to build it up and also great acting on all fronts i love yeah as you mentioned also the stand-ins of the two elder sons uh battling against each other and how cole and strong literally train them and give them instructions and how it gets that that's how you beat them and whatever uh i thought that it was so well done and yeah this is such a good scene and tells you so much about all of the characters involved and i love as well as you because you mentioned it that uh you know lionel later confronts harwin in the next scene basically that uh, rhaenyra listens to and uh i love that as well and just seeing you know how how lionel is just definitely showing him this you know that he has crossed the line that this is now out in the open and will have consequences for everyone and it does all right what's your next scene so my next scene is i'm gonna skip a uh, a bunch i'm just going through it kind of chronologically um the two larry scenes kind of at the end not at the very end that is also a great scene but Laris and Alicent meeting for dinner, talking about the Strongs being compromised. And, uh, you know, Laris kind of takes the initiative and gets three men from prison who are sentenced to death, gets their tongues cut off so they can't tell on him and sends them as assassins to a scene that we'll discuss later. Uh, And I think strong strong vibes here kind of uh that he's such a power broker now and you see it at the very end i'm I'm just gonna include this in in here now 
uh i hadn't planned on doing it but i'm just doing it anyway um how allison seems to be quite shocked at what happened and that laris insinuates that that's what she wanted that's what she asked for and kind of blacks blackmails her about oh yeah you i'm i'm sure you'll reward me down the line and just just like that you know kind of he is he is kind of a mix between Varys, uh little finger and Tyrion in a way uh and he's just quickly just just like with one fell swoop has become i think if i'm not wrong the the you know the first person in house strong he's like the leader of house strong now he will he will definitely improve his station and i thought that that was just you know a a very strong move on his on his part and definitely tells you a lot about him that he has no qualms no you know no scruples of doing things like that laris is also an asshole yes <laughs> And it's really fitting that he ends up killing his own brothers, his brother and his father. And it's it's really interesting because in the book, uh, this is one book reference. Sorry, uh, we don't know who is who kills Harwin and Lionel mm, in the fire, or if even if it was an accident, it could have been just the curse of Harrenhal or whatever. But. <laughs> Because the book is written as a history, so we only have, like, you know, this source says this, this source says this, so we don't actually know oh, the I truth. See. So it's really cool to kind of see that, you know, confirmation that it is Laris who's the one who killed them. And, yeah, he's just, I mean, Alicent is an asshole for kind of making, you know, in that scene she talks about how she wants Otto Hightower to be back, which makes sense because he will be partial to her. I mean, she says that he's like, he would be partial to me uh, because she feels like she has no one yet. She has like Otto, or she has, uh, she has Lionel, not Lionel, what the hell's the name? Laris. And she has Kristen. So she has some people on her side and she has Viserys, obviously that she just controls clearly. So it's really interesting to me that she, she feels this sense of loneliness. Uh, This is one of the scenes you're talking about, right? The Laris Allison scene. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm just taking it from the other side right now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so I, f- I find it interesting because, you know, earlier on in the season with young owls and you also get the seeds of, oh, I feel alone or it's very lonely to be queen, that kind of thing, even though she's always surrounded by other people and, you know, adorned by whatever. So it's interesting that you can see that through line come to when she's an adult and that what is the manifestation of feeling alone is that you end up acting like you know uh, a tiger or a cat caught in a corner that you just want to like fight through everything and she's kind of stupid here kind of confiding in laris the wrong person to confide <laughs> in because he is clearly insane and clearly like mm. will do absolutely anything for power including kill his own family which is in 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 any world i assume it's a big deal and in the game of thrones world in particular it is a huge deal and akin to the worst of sins so what does this mean for Allison and Laris's relationship moving forward? Does he end up feeling that he has a power over her and then make her make this debt kind of come back to haunt Allison in the future? So we it's it's we don't know what's going to happen in the future, but Allison and Laris this relationship back and forth is a really it's re- it's really a shame that Allison has to sully herself with working with someone like Laris. Um, but, and also Laris played his part real well. And you're right to say that he is, you know, a mix of Littlefinger and uh, what was his name? Ferris. Ferris. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Ah, names, man. The worst thing. There's just also so many people here. So I, I, yeah, I can, I can remember like Aegon the f- like third or whatever the fuck, but I can't remember. Um, Varys. <laughs> I forgot it again for a second. <laughs> Oh man, but here we are. Uh, yeah, Laris is an uh, a very very fascinating character. So I want to see more what his motivations are, and is he just going to outright use Alicent, um, or does she actually have the ability to keep the upper hand over him? And at the end of this episode, that last scene where he talks about 
the you know the folly of children and you know the love stays the hand and love is a downfall and all these things you can see how Allison has already been manipulated by Laris or she feels manipulated to a certain extent so how does that action um, modify their relationship yeah I'm gonna be curious yeah because I think at one point on, on one point you know Allison doesn't you know, she could just say it didn't happen, but then again, Laris knows what rumors can do. So, yeah, very curious. What's what's your next scene? My next scene is Rhaenyra and Lenor talking about uh, Lenor wanting to go to the Stepstones to fight. I found yeah. it really interesting to get a sense of their relationship. Uh, he believes that uh, he. You can also get a sense that he believes that they're not his. He believes the rumors that. The kids are Harwin Strong's, even though Rhaenyra is adamant to him that they are Lenor's kids, which you would assume that Lenor would know if it's even possible that they were his kids. I mean, if they ever consummated the marriage, like he would know. So clearly they've consummated the marriage because Raynor is able to lie to Lenor in this, or maybe not lie. We actually don't know the truth. And this actually, this scene made me think to myself, oh, I mean, clearly there is something between Harwin Strong and Rhaenyra and Harwin Strong and the kids. Mm-hmm. And we can, the most obvious explanation is that Harwin Strong fathered these children. But there is like a side to me that thinks Rhaenyra's adamance in this episode, in this scene, maybe made me think, what is actually the truth here? Is it that like nature is just weird and what the fuck's happening? Probably not. But it, it begs <laughs> it begs asking the question in this thing. And then from this sequence, I love two specific quotes. When Rhaenyra, and her, it's reflective of her stubbornness and strength, when she says, you do not desert your post as the storm lashes. And that references Lenor wanting to move away to the Stepstones as the family becomes under further scrutiny. And Lenor, the ever, ever the sailor from Driftmark, rebuttals, by saying the wise sailor flees the storm as it gathers. And this is a quote that comes back at the end of the episode when Rhaenyra yeah. <laughs> kind of being like, we're going to Dragonstone. And she says it again. And yeah. it's just so, so well done. Yeah. So this is a reflection so much of their relationship and a, a consequence of how they, the what, how they, the, the decision that they made in the last episode and what, amounts to that or what comes out of that and how you having living separate lives and still being married is not a recipe for a good marriage anyways and it made me think to myself Rainier went down this path not largely but partially because at least partially because of Damon's advice to her about marriage about you can get married and do it still will do whatever the fuck you want really bad person to take advice on marriage from <laughs> the guy who killed his first <laughs> wife. And I guess he did care for Lena. So, you know, RIP Lena, but uh, mm. still not a great husband out there. So I think that this is also a consequence of bad advice generation to generation and how that impacts the lives that we move forward. And also Lenor, fucking asshole (laughs) he is like an entitled asshole like what the fuck man so sorry those are some of my notes on that specific scene nice um are you going to talk about the later scene when it's gonna be quoted again just no curious you mean them going to yeah when they just when they decide you know when renier says to him we're leaving i have been undermined and you know she quotes it back to him and i just wanted to point out how i love that she says to him to Lenor, bring him, meaning is like consort Carl, uh, which I thought was so cool. I thought that was such a nice thing to happen um, because that does give, also give you an insight into their relationship. You know, it is not just all a a sort of, you know, thing that they have to do for duty. They do on some level care about each other and about their well-being. Um, and I thought that was really nice. But my next scene is not that. My next scene is the aforementioned Lena um, on her, you know, trying to give birth. But as the uh, master says, the child won't come. And 
uh, I, you know, Damon asks about, you know, the it's it's basically a parallel to Viserys about, okay, we could force the child out of the mother, but the mother won't survive. Um, but uh, but also, if if they don't do that, uh, Elena's gonna die, and so she basically commits suicide by dragon. Uh, by telling her own dragon to burn her alive, um, which I thought was incredible. As soon as I saw her walking towards the dragon, I was like, "Oh wow, this is this is insane!" Because as well, going back to their an earlier scene where they talk about their marriage and their future, and Lena basically apologizes about not being the wife he wanted and everything, but you can kind of see in Damon that is. That he really cares about her and their children, even though he uh, apparently doesn't, you know, uh, give too much attention to the the daughter of theirs that doesn't have a dragon yet. But I thought that that was just what a move on Lena's part, and I, that was just so so incredible. Yeah, that scene is primarily there, I think, to mirror the scene in episode one well this is the first episode of this what i would call the new show right the show after the 10-year jump where we have a new casting and whatever so this is the new show we're talking about in the first episode of the real show viserys had to make a very similar decision and we see damon kind of shake his head no that he doesn't want to make the same choice that viserys made and to what extent that's informed by viserys's decision or is that just damon being a better person than Viserys, I would assume it's probably the latter, but mm-hmm. we're not entirely sure. And in the end, Lena makes her own choice and is, is given the opportunity to, as she referenced previously, d- wanting to die a dragon rider's death. And mm-hmm. she ends up going to v- Vagar. And Vagar, it's really, it's really like the Vagar's hesitancy to follow the order, but understanding what she needs oh, in the end, yeah. it's just... It's so subtle the sounds that they make Vagar make here, but it was so affectionate, and you can see the bond between the rider and the dragon. And I kind of felt bad for Vagar, like in a way. Yeah, for sure. That that was. I mean, I th- I think she has to tell him three or four times. Yeah. To do it, and he's just like no, and then no, and then are you sure? And then he does it. And yeah, I don't know. It's It just speaks of the bond that they have. But this is the sequence where it really made me think this was badly set up in the way that I really needed. I think I needed more time with Lena and Vagar mm-hmm. in particular in their effect on Damon and all these things. Because you can say that, okay, if they're going to die anyways, just get rid of them off. The, get them off the board now. But the way that Lena impacts Damon is so significant because the Damon we see here is very, very different than the Damon we saw previously. Less confrontational, more just about relaxing and doing different things. And this life in Pentos is alluring to him. And although it's it comes in in conflict with Lena because they have different opinions about what to do, it's still it's the effect that stability, family, and uh, a marriage that he actually likes on Damon is something that I think deserved to be seen and i'm not saying we should only see lena because it because of how it impacts the man here but um just lena for herself and the emotional like imagine how much more emotional that would be if you saw because lena in the first ep- second episode i think of the season when she's talking to viserys in the courtyard she's asking about vagar where is vagar what's going on with vagar and then she as a, in her you know in the, in the off screen ends up claiming Vagar and riding Vagar. And I would love to have seen that and love to have seen their relationship blossom even further and Lena come into her own as a character and then how much more emotionally impactful that death scene could be. But again, I guess woe is me. I'm not really sure here what to say here, but... (laughs) Yeah, I agree. Uh, I really liked her, especially as a grown-up and would love to have seen more of her, but... I guess we won't. We get five minutes uh, of screen time with her. And I know. I know. Uh, I know. Anyway, let's. We need to move on, just as Damon has to. <laughs> uh, oh, that was harsh. Uh, well, that was a 
a bad transition. What's your next scene? Who do you think Damon is going to find next? <laughs> because he just seems to be going around in circles. Yeah. Maybe he's just going to be a, like, a dad for a while, you know? That'd be cool to see. Like a, a girl dad with two girls. Yeah, I think I think he really cares about them. And maybe now that Lena has gone, he will care more about them. Do you think he stays so. in Pentos? I have no idea. I feel like where else would he go? Maybe if he her if he hears that Rhaenyra is back in Dragonstone, maybe then he will go there. Uh, especially because you know they both wed the Valyrian children, um, like the siblings, so they have the bond there as well. Because you know Lena also says about okay, she got a uh, a letter from her brother and she misses him and. Maybe that that would be a way back. Yeah. Also, I wonder if they're just like you know easy mechanic to bring people back together as a funeral. Exactly. So yeah, yeah, and also just just from a storytelling perspective, it's kind of the Daenerys problem, right? Like, what are we going to do with Damon and his daughters in in uh, uh, what was it? It was not Bravos. Pentos. Was Pentos. Yes, exactly. I have it written down somewhere, but uh, yeah. Um, yeah, what are we gonna gonna do with uh, Damon and his daughters in Pentos for like a season or like a few episodes? That's just what are they gonna do there now? It was about settling down, and I don't know. But maybe Damon doesn't seem to be like the security type. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. I'm honestly, I hope he goes back, but I could also see him not doing that for a while. I guess we'll find out. I guess we will. All right. So my next scene is Lionel Strong trying to resign. Oh, yeah. So good. I like Lionel's the best. Lionel's absolutely the best. He just has so much honor. And he's the Ned Stark of this world in my mind. Yeah. Except maybe he's not a good fighter. But he (laughs) is like taking the fall for his son. He won't... But he won't kind of say what he has to 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 kind of get the get out of the job. Allison kind of feels enraged by that to a certain extent. She doesn't like she's uncomfortable with his honor. And when they're having a conversation and Allison just butts in, I'm just like in my head, I'm just like, fucking stay out of the way, Allison. Stop being this is really quite annoying. <laughs> uh but we have like I really like the compromise that they end up coming to and it just shows how Lionel has been so faithful to Viserys and back and forth their relationship is extremely, extremely vital to the health of the realm. Yet Lionel kind of sets the stage for his own demise in this, making this decision, leaving King's Landing, taking his brother with him. And this is Again, like you can see the way the camera cuts to Alicent's face as the two men are having a conversation, and you can see her kind of seeing the opportunity, and you can see how sh- how more advanced she's become as a political actor here, where she's like, "Oh my God, I see an opportunity to get rid of Lionel and bring back my father," and this is what then leads to the Laris conversations that we've talked about in the past, and this see this episode in general, I think, has a bunch of scenes and they're all kind of interconnected but they're all kind of small so i just wanted to bring out this one because it's kind of a send-off to lionel strong who was an mvp while he was around and just the best counselor and i think the best hand of the king we've ever seen so shout out lionel strong uh and another i guess another part of the sequence is how allison is kind of fluffing up the chair for Viserys as they get back first. (laughs) And then as soon as like Viserys doesn't follow her counsel, she just walks out and is just kind of bitter about it. So for me that read that Alicent is really only using Viserys or she is clearly using him and manipulating him. So she has all the power in this relationship now. And she's the one who kind of like when she doesn't get what she wants she kind of doesn't throw a tantrum but stops being stops kind of she with she becomes withholding in a way and it's it's just an interesting thing to think about sorry 
I don't know why I apologize there. No, I don't know either. I was just going to let that go, but now you've pointed the finger to it. Anyway, uh, let's move on. Um, yeah, I think what makes this scene so powerful is all three of them know what's going on. None of them is going to say it. We all know it. And I think that just makes for such a good sort of... It's like a, almost like a Hitchcock move. And yeah, as well when when, you know... Allison sees okay. There's an opportunity here, and you can see it again. Great acting in like the fa- in Allison's face, where she's just like she's she's just waiting for this to to blow the way that she wants to, and it doesn't happen, and it doesn't happen, and then uh, Lionel just says, "Okay, can I then uh, uh, you know take take my son to Hall and kind of out of trouble, uh, and everybody again knows what this means." And Alison is furious that the you know she was so close to getting what she wanted, but she doesn't, and then she just becomes petulant and leaves the room, which also obviously Viserys in all his being being manipulated and used knows by you know because I feel like his comment of "Oh, are you not going to put the blanket on me again?" it was just kind of uh not taunting her but definitely you know like a a snark or like a snide remark um yeah so great great scene and yeah pour one out for lionel strong because he's not there again and neither is his son harwin which is my last scene for today when he says goodbye to the boys and to rhaenyra which as I watched it, already gave me real strong Ned Stark vibes, you know, with goodbyes in Game of Thrones. So it's just like, oh no, this is not going to end well. I mean, of course, we also saw Larys getting the three prisoners, and we all knew what that meant. Um, but I, I love that. Uh, and but but the reason I chose it was the exchange at the end between the son and Rhaenyra. I'll get to I'll get to memorize their names at some point, but not today. Jace, uh, jace okay jace says literally just says is he my father am i a bastard and uh Rainier is just kind of taken aback and shocked by that and how he knows that and she just replies you're a targaryen that's all that matters and i don't know just t- that tells you so much about the, the two of them that jace is so insightful that you know he's he he knows he knows what's going on it's the way that children often know things they can feel things that are going on that adults are trying to hide um because they know when things when adults don't behave like themselves and they see through some you know through the the thin veneer of masks and i just love that exchange um because again you know gotta love some bastards in game of thrones so uh the wherewithal of of jace was just very impressive so i just had to make that my scene so quick question yay or nay on the bastard kids or i guess the kids in general in this episode (sighs) neither really i don't know overall i guess they're fine they're they're yay but not yay sounds like enthusiasm so like yes Okay, yes or no? Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, more yes, I think. Um, yeah. I think yeah, I think I would say yes, yes. They they they're good. They're good plot devices. And they they definitely they tell tell you things about other characters just as much as you they tell you about themselves and how they behave. Um, so yeah, I at first I got to admit I was kind of you know clamming up when i saw oh there's four boys there i don't like that at all uh but you know in the grand scheme of things i think they were very important for this episode and that is why this episode ends with laris saying what i've quoted in the beginning about you know about children and we see all of these different family units um you know, including including Damon and, and his daughters grieving. We see Rhaenyra and Lena and their children leaving to drag returning to Dragonstone. We we see Viserys very sad that Rhaenyra has left. 
just on his own and yeah i think that's kind of what i mean it's always about the children not necessarily about their personalities or or they them as a as a person but about what they represent you know lineages and ongoing bloodlines and heirs and whatever else so yeah definitely yes cool that sounds good i found it like i i was torn about how rhaenyra should respond to jacerius's question is because if she says if she lies to jacerius i mean or or tells the truth i don't know if she just denies it and she's like no he's not your father that will potentially be more of a security blanket for him and actually make sense but she doesn't and it's like it's as if she can't bring herself to lie to her son but in this case like you're setting him up for a big issue for him like internally about what's gonna like affect him like imagine if you're just like i don't know it's would you rather be lied to or would you rather like kind of be left make things left ambiguous to the point where you just don't know what the truth is and i guess we'll find out you know the impact of that but for me it just it fell short of what i wanted her to say but although her being like you're a targaryen that's all that matters that's all that matters to only rhaenyra for everyone else that's not (laughs) what matters and i think she has to recognize that and talk to her son more about that Especially because, as you said, he is very intuitive and will know what's going on. And I don't want him to kind of come under fire because I really like those kids a lot already. Yeah, I think it's going to be an issue as well when it comes about legitimacy. And maybe there might be a conflict also in the uh, in the future between Lena and them. And then maybe Jace is going to use that against Lena. I could see that, but also just when it comes down to the line in terms of power and who is going to ascend the Iron Throne, he ha- he will have to lie about things, uh, you know, after Rhaenyra told him what she told him. Uh, I still think it's the right move, but uh, or at least she did it well. She didn't say yes or no, but I mean, she kind of did say yes, but she didn't say no anyway, but uh yeah just i i get why you're torn though i'm sure you're not torn about your number one so my number one is the what i think is the most important episode scene in this episode by far and it's the council meeting the small council meeting yes i'm so glad you picked that yeah there was no way i wasn't gonna pick this because not only does it immediately set up alicent and rhaenyra politically as enemies and having different opinions on literally everything. And what, like, for example, what's the conflict between the Blackwoods and the Brackens and the Riverlands, that kind of going on. Alicent just being like, this is a Tully problem. We don't need to do this. Rhaenyra being like, no, we should intervene. Uh, I think with so many layers here, but I'm just going to focus on a couple things. One, it's absolutely hilarious that Lord Beesbury is still around. He's super old and he just can't keep up with yeah. what's going on. So, hey, that's <laughs> hilarious. B, I love how Rhaenyra just sits back and twirls the little small ball in front of her. Like, with just such confidence and and such a presence. And it's just such an affecting way to uh, her, how she commands the room. And I guess in general, when she speaks, you can sense that she's the one who, of all the people in the room, is the best fit to rule really like she commands the room <laughs> she has a rebuttal she has like a logic of ruling in her mind and although she hasn't really been trained by Viserys well in terms of politicking she is a natural born leader and she's a fucking badass and it's just i like how in the scene although it comes from a sense of desperation she does reach out to Alicent and be like all right let's get let's bury our kids or whatever and Viserys it's like I felt like so happy for Viserys because like the joy on his face the way Patty Constantine just brightens up his entire face <laughs> and he sits up and is just like so excited by that but Viserys the potential of Viserys wedding Helena and just like squashing this beef like it is absolutely incredible and on the other side you have Alicent controlling the king and uh, pushing her own power as well 
and saying, oh, you must rest now, we have to stop, and refusing to sit when Viserys commands it. And it is it's just such a great scene on so many different layers, so I just had to bring it up here. Yeah, I love that scene as well. And how, you know, all of the, as you said, all of the different layers where it was not clear to me whether Rhaenyra, I, I, I think, I think Alison felt like Rhaenyra just disagreed with her on every matter on principle, but I feel like Rhaenyra actually disagreed with her for actual reasons and Alison just can't see that. Um, and yeah, just the back and forth, the apology, the, you know, wedding proposal, all of that was just so great. And then Alison just kind of uses her, you know, uh, power on, on Viserys. Oh, let's, let's, let's end this. And Viserys, the person that he is, immediately agrees. And, you know, also, also kind of, all the gravitas that Rhaenyra has, Alicent undermines by just pointing out that you know her breasts are like that she's lactating, and that it's going through the the clothes and just just dick move. Who the uh, fuck cares? Who the fuck exactly? Cares? It shouldn't it shouldn't care. It it should it shouldn't matter. But you know, in that world, and they've been talking about for a long time how everybody doesn't accept a woman in power. And so that would just be a thing of ridiculing her in that way. And Alison, Alison is like one of these, like, I don't know, female Trump voters almost, <laughs> like in that regard where she just uses misogyny whenever she sees fit to against Rhaenyra. It's these sequences um, that really made me hate Alison even more. Like yeah. I, I was like already, uh, fuck Alison. But here I'm just like, like Rhaenyra is reaching out you know, like, here's a solution. We have issues. Let's just wed our kids and just be done with it. And Allison just like, she won't accept it because of some weird high standard of morality, but it is just a power grab by her. And yeah. she is so controlled. She's, it's effective because she's able to control the king. And when you can control the king, you can control the kingdom. And by, by the transit of property, I guess she is ruling the kingdom. But, oh my fucking God. It's just, it's, it's sad for me to see that when there's a struggle between there's a struggle for a woman to rise to the throne in this context the the person who's pushing her down the most is just a, is another woman who like who in yeah. an ideal world would kind of would step up and allow her to kind of like thrive but i mean it is just we should just bring each other up not push each other down and allison is just at every turn being an asshole <laughs> <laughs> yes um, so what do you look forward no 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 in, not there in, yet no. oh, of course not. i know no no i have a couple things left so one uh -huh. thing that i need to ask you about okay. what do you think is going on with the rats every episode yeah has ended or has at some point had a rat and the camera has lingered on them and it's really making me think what the hell's going on with these well, I I only kind of clocked that the last two episodes, to be honest. Um, I mean, just because I always think that, you know, rats in a pseudo-medieval setting make sense, um, or just in any setting, really. Um, I think, I don't know, I think it's, for, for me, at least in the last two episodes, I read it as a sign of Viserys' uh, diminishing physical presence of, like, his weakness uh that they kind of can tell that he is you know he's not a threat to anyone including them so maybe like almost like they can smell the decay on him like you know with with his arm that has kind of rotted away that now he is really really old and is just no threat to anyone anymore if he ever was and yeah, I think I think I read it as as a like sign for that. Yeah, I'm not really sure what it is, and it doesn't. It's like Game of Thrones isn't that metaphorical in a way. It must be that there's something going on, or maybe someone is like using the rats, or the rats are like 
will come back. I don't, I don't, I don't I'm not entirely sure Someone's here. warging or something. I, I wonder, but I don't, it's, it's brand Probably from not. the future. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> around, drinking people's blood, but you don't, you, you don't really know what's going on with the rats, but it just, it seems so obvious and it just makes me think like, what's going on here? So it, yeah. it's, it's worth asking sure. yourself. And if it continues, then if it continues past Viserys, then here that's that we have to re, we have to revisit this question of the rats. But here we are. Yeah, it might just be like the demise of the Targaryen family or whatever. Yeah. You know? So I have a theory here that mm-hmm. I think not a theory. I have a, a categorization of these characters, and I think that this like ensuing conflict or not ensuing conflict. I really just think the characters of this show fall into two categories: the idiots versus the assholes. And there's <laughs> nothing in between. It's absolutely incredible. Like, on the asshole side, you have Alicent is an asshole, clearly. Actually, no, Alicent's kind of both, in a way. But we'll put ass- asshole Alicent. And Laris is obviously an asshole. Kristen Cole is an asshole. Lenore is an asshole. These people, I think, are, like, just assholes. And on the idiot side, you have Rhaenyra, I think, is, like, to a certain extent, an idiot. The least idiot of the idiots, but she's still an idiot, in my mind. Her deciding to leave... To Dragonstone, I think personally is an idiot move. Harwin, obviously an idiot. Viserys, the, the king of the idiots. Um, Lionel Strong, to a certain extent, an idiot. And I think it's just like this show, in my mind, is about like I don't know what it's about really. I don't know where Damon falls in this whole thing. I haven't categorized all the characters yet. He's like straddling the line between asshole and idiocy, but. <laughs> It's this show is just like I, I think I want to create like an uh, not an asshole ranking, but like I want to like update who I find is an asshole throughout throughout these episodes because I'm sure every episode it'll change. But for the assholes of the week, I guess for me are Allison, Laris, and Kristen and Lenor for sure. Yeah, but I think there is a big gap between Lenor and the rest. <laughs> Oh, for Honestly. sure. There's a huge gap, for sure. But Lenor is still an asshole, nonetheless. I guess Aegon is also an asshole. Like there, there, yeah. there are a bunch of assholes in this. I think it, it warrants. I guess we should do like a top four assholes of the week. Top four assholes and top four idiots. Top four assholes, top four idiots of the week. But <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just like it's so. Uh, I should have led with this this question instead yeah, of putting really it at an hour in. <laughs> No one's going to get to it. But if you listen this far, (laughs) I hope you enjoy the idiots versus assholes and let us know who you think is an idiot or an asshole or both. Yeah, but don't don't talk about your favorite podcast host that way. That's not nice. Um, (laughs) Uh, We're both idiots and assholes at the same time, Chris. And with that, (laughs) thank you so much. Um, If you've enjoyed the show, give us a five-star rating. Uh, For Rashad, I'm Chris, and talk to you next time about House of the Dragon.